Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Robert Craig is with us. We're going to go with you first today, Robert. Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. And most importantly today, we have Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca, Welcome. Wonderful to be here, Matt. <laughs> from, the, from the firestorm. <laughs> Straight from the hurricane. No, it's not Dorian or is it Umberto? Uh, it's hurricane endorsement, uh, working families endorsement. We're going to talk about the Working Families Party endorsement this week, and we're, uh, we're ac actually very happy to have Rebecca here to talk more about it. It's very important. So uh, we will talk more about that. We are going to talk about the climate strike that's occurring on Friday and in a number of places all over Wisconsin, which is extraordinarily great to see. We're going to talk a bit about vaping and, and health care, and then we're going to talk to uh, about the GM strike. We're going to be joined by a Wisconsin GM worker, union steward, uh, Steve Frisk, uh, from local one, or excuse me, from local seven seventy two. So we're really uh, glad that he's going to join us to tell us more about the GM strike. But let's get started, um, Rebecca. I'm going to give you a great deal of latitude on this because this is um, it, there's been a lot of press, right? Uh, came out on Monday, right? Monday, uh, the Working Families Party publicly announced uh, the results of their endorsement process. And, and I will start by saying Citizen Action uh, and myself, um, we're a part of the Working Families Party project here in Wisconsin and have been for years in terms of trying to help build the Working Families Party. Um, and But Rebecca, you have been knee deep in it as someone who helps staff, not only here in Wisconsin, but nationally for the Working Families Party and has been involved in the process. Um, so let our listeners know, tell us a little bit about it, this big news, right, Elizabeth, why Elizabeth, how it happened, and um, and, and we will talk a little bit about some of the controversy, obviously, uh, but give us give our listeners a full background. We're really excited. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. of course, yes. I'm beaming this morning. I mean, we are thrilled to endorse Elizabeth Warren to be president of the United States. She is someone who we have known for a long time, you know, has been a hero to many of us. Uh, certainly after the financial crisis, her efforts to go after the big banks to explain exactly what was happening. You know, for me, I'm a bit younger than my podcast hosts hey, here. <laughs> oh, yes, true that. And, you know, it was a time where I was, I was leaving school and we were at the height of the recession and it was a really baffling and, like, frightening time. And no one really understood what was happening. And Elizabeth Warren really stood alone as someone who was explaining clearly what was happening and in a way that didn't make you feel stupid you know she was saying of course you don't understand this it's deliberately confusing yeah. but i'm gonna break it down and she really laid you know the basis for the occupy wall street movement a movement that i think impacted folks nationally certainly um you know my generation so many other activists and, and progressives were involved with occupy or inspired by occupy and she was really someone who uh, had a huge part of that. And then, of course, going into the Obama administration by sheer force of will, sheer force of will of this woman alone, you know, creating the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau and all of the incredible things that could 
that came out of it. And, yep. you know, we can talk, you know, today or on future podcasts about that. But we've talked about totally uh, loan sharking. Right. A lot of the stuff that uh, that institution has gone after uh, and that Trump has really gone after. And the Trump administration tried to basically make it not function. Yeah, because uh, it was so effective. I mean, she's just really an extraordinary woman, and and that's part of the reason why. And some folks who are listening will remember this. But back in 2015, the Working Families Party was part of a consortium of progressive groups that were trying to really create a drumbeat to push Elizabeth Warren to run for president back then. And of course, as folks know, she declined to do that, and Senator Sanders stepped up, and the rest is really history. I mean, he changed this country and changed the debate. But um, she is someone who we have kind of always wanted to run for president and we're just so thrilled that she is now and we're thrilled to be a part of it. So it's a little uh, confounding unless you know kind of left sectarian politics to understand the kerfuffle over this because the ideological difference between Warren and Sanders is not great, I think, by any reasonable standard, uh, though I, I'll get into why for certain sectarian standards it would be, right? And, and I think, I mean, I'm strongly a believer that we are never going to move American politics to the left without participating in endorsements, which means when you can actually endorsing, uh, and it gives you much more leverage, much more influence over the primary, and that's the place where progressives have an influence more than the general election when you're forced to take the not-the-fascist candidate, right, which was Hillary Clinton. Uh, but even even in, in participating in the endorsement process and pushing it as an organization and not being able to endorse makes the candidates respond to you, makes them take positions. So in the governor's race, with Citizen Action uh, in 2018 was not able to endorse, but we got all the major candidates, including Tony Evers, to support a Badger Care public option, Badger Care for All. And so that was still valuable. So I'm not going to throw stones at the Working Families Party at all that you were able to get to an endorsement decision and to try to play a role. And this is a tough one because you have two very strong progressive candidates. Now, the lead attack dog in the media on this has gotten tremendous attention, so good for them, is Jacobin Magazine, which a lot of you probably haven't heard of. I have. I've been to receptions with them. They are a straight-out socialist magazine. So their big distinction is that Bernie says he's a socialist and Elizabeth doesn't, so she is a capitalist, right? And they see a hard divide there. I see much more of a spectrum here where if they're on one side or the other of a, of a imaginary dividing line, they're right there on each side of the line, if you know what I mean. That Elizabeth Warren has, is as progressive a capitalist as you can find that wants to restructure the whole system. And Bernie is certainly a very moderate socialist by any kind of world, world standard. So I see why Jacobin uh, sees the distinction. By the way, good for them. They got as much attention almost as the Working Families Party. <laughs> and good for the Working Families Party. And good for the left to have right. these divisions well, among progressives actually be newsworthy. I That's where I want to go uh, with this because... I got people on all we got we all we got people on all sides of this right and I think Robert you laid it out pretty good there's there's differences between Bernie and Elizabeth right about purity and things like that and you laid out sort of how they identify either as a socialist or capitalist but on the actual policy in, in American politics it's it's much thinner and I want to get away from that because ultimately the working families party in what we're trying to do and what this whole progressive movement is trying to do is make sure that our ideas and that we win the battle for power right within within the democratic party and that and that we start to shape 
the hearts and minds and 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 w- that the values that we believe are majoritarian actually start to be reflected in our broader politics and in and and currently the way this presidential primary is set up it's within the democratic party and this is a historic historic primary we've never had not only so many candidates but what's being discussed particularly for progressives what bernie and what elizabeth and a whole bunch of other candidates are actually are trying to articulate um, some better than others um, huge opportunity and so for us on the left and in this case the working families party to try and step in have a process that was clear that all the candidates had an opportunity to participate in it was very open uh, and included both the organizations and the institutions and the leaders of those institutions that is um, multiracial, lots of different kinds of organizations, and has really been struggling with trying to become a better, you know, uh, the kind of left movement that we want, uh, that isn't just labor or just the environment or just one aspect that's broader, um, was involved in that those folks that have been involved in trying to build this organization along with rank and file membership, right? Um, obviously, Rebecca, the one thing that's out there is the idea that somehow the numbers are secret, right? That's the only thing that I think is sort of sort of out there. But the, re- the idea that somehow this process wasn't open, wasn't open to everyone, uh, is silly. It was. And uh, kudos, I'm going to say, to the Working Families Party for getting out and, and at least reminding everyone, as John Nichols points out, there's a real, <laughs> there's a, uh, progressives going to have to choose between the two. And this is reminding everybody, and you better start to make up, because otherwise, Joe Biden's running away with the race. Rebecca? Yeah, listen, I words cannot express how much I admire Senator Sanders, what he means to the progressive movement, what he means to the Working Families Party. We are thrilled that he is running for president. And, you know, you mentioned the power of having these two left structural change candidates in the race. And I talk about them all the time as if they're wrestlers, right? I mean, they're tag teaming it. They go into the debate stage like they're going into the ring. And one of them alone could be marginalized. Both of them together are explaining clearly to the American people what is wrong with this country and how to fix it. And they're backing each other up and they're running laps around their opponents. And it's just like thrilling to see and I think you know what's super important about this and we could talk more about it later but you know time is the one thing we can't get back we are losing time every second that slips away every week that goes by that we aren't organizing for a left structural change candidate the centrists in the Democratic Party are, Wall Street is, the Republicans are, Trump is out there on social media and organizing at rallies every day. And so, you know, we cannot, we cannot afford to wait. We have to move forward. And what you're not going to see are people in the Working Families Party trying to sway Sanders voters away from Warren. Never. That's not what we're trying to do. There are undecided voters. There are Biden voters. There are voters who, like, may or may not be Democrats. We are trying to grow the progressive base, and, and that is a really important project, and it's it's critical we do it now. Well, I want to talk more about that on the backside, looking forward to what people can expect, and then also give you an opportunity um, if there are folks who want to get involved with the Working Families Party in this, uh, how to do that on the back side of this break. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin, we're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about the Working Families Party endorsement of Elizabeth Warren, which was huge news this week. And um, as uh, almost all of our listeners know, Rebecca 
works for the Working Families Party and has invested a lot of time and energy into helping build uh, the party here in Wisconsin, uh, but has also been involved in the process. And we were talking before the break, you started to get into looking forward and really like what's at stake for progressives and for our movement uh, in this presidential. And you started to say we're losing time. Talk more about that, right, in terms of why time is of the essence and why moving now is so important for the Working Families Party. I mean, you know, listeners will know organizing takes time. Organizing in rural areas takes time. Organizing in Milwaukee takes time. Organizing everywhere. It takes time. You know, we aren't the Republican Party. We aren't billionaires. We can't just flood the airwaves. Like, we need to do the real work of talking to our neighbors and struggling with the issues, and that takes time. And what we're looking at right now are, you know, mere months before these super critical primaries that are coming up. And for us to be able to make a difference to support a structural change left-leaning candidate in Elizabeth Warren and try to really show the electorate how these the candidates who want structural change are the ones that we need to lead, to not only be able to beat President Trump, but to lead our country. We have to do that yesterday, right? Like, this almost feels too late to me. And so, you know, that is that is the energy that we're coming at this with. And I think, oh, sorry, mm. I, I just, I've, I couldn't say enough about Senator Warren, but one of the things I'm so excited about as someone who lives in Wisconsin, organizes in Wisconsin, spends a lot of time with Citizen Action, is that I think Senator Warren is someone who is going to be very compelling to Wisconsin voters. There was an NBC poll that came out yesterday. Robert's going to yell about polls, so I'm just going to keep talking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that in that one poll, one national poll, that she was leading among black voters, she was second among black voters after Biden. She was leading among Latinx voters. Obviously, it's a very dynamic field. Lots of things will change. We shouldn't take polls to the bank. But the point I'm trying to make is that she is gaining momentum. The more people who learn about her, the more people find her compelling and interesting. And her background growing up in Norman, Oklahoma, growing up in a family that her father had a heart attack when she was 12. They lost the station wagon, almost lost their home. Her mom went to get a minimum wage job at Sears. You know, being a public school teacher, we just elected a public educator as governor of Wisconsin and Tony Evers. She taught kids with special needs as a teacher before ever going to law school. And I think that's, and you see her, the teacher in her when she explains the issues. That's the kind of person that I think we need in the White House. And I think that's the kind of person that's going to appeal to Wisconsin voters, but we have to start talking to folks now uh, if we're going to start to draw draw attention away from Trump and draw voters away from centrist Democrats. And part of what she's doing so well on is with her narrative. She does it in narrative form that relates to her own life that Rebecca talked about part of. And she, unlike your average right-wing billionaire that thinks, I was great, I did it, right, literally understands that $25 a, a month tuition or a semester for law school and for her, her teaching education is not existing anymore, and that she could the new Elizabeth Warrens out there couldn't do it. So she is aware of that, and that's the big difference, right? She is aware, and it, her biography tells a different story of what America was and what America could be, right? Uh, because we're literally regressing, which is really hard to understand because there was so much optimism in the 60s and 70s that we had vanquished, you know, the Gilded Age and the roaring 1920s and horrendous income inequality, et cetera. And now, now we're back to it, right? And that, and the empire is going to strike back in this election. So Rebecca is right. If Elizabeth or Bernie is the nominee, it's going to be like William Jennings Bryant in 1896 where the whole capitalist establishment funds the biggest campaign ever to prevent it from happening actually changing the rules of the game and rebalancing democracy, giving democracy the upper hand and, po- and the public interest 
over you know the corporate classes, quite frankly. And so I think the important thing, though, is, is that we need all of Bernie's and all of Elizabeth's supporters. And so this can't become divisive between the candidates. That would be catastrophic. And I would not be surprised if major progressive groups don't also endorse Bernie. So let's get ready, right? Well, Bernie is start to talk completely about that. worthy of endorsement, and he's the person responsible for setting this up. But that's happened a lot in history. I mean, there are other politicians you've ever heard of that actually set up the whole conditions that Abraham Lincoln became president with. You don't remember them. So that's history is kind of unfair that way. Bernie will be remembered because he actually ran for president more than those leaders. I'll throw a name out at you, Salmon P. Chase. Feel free to email me about him. Uh, he had many, much reason to be bitter that Lincoln got all of the, the plaudits for an anti-slavery political agenda. Um, but, and he was state, became uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, so he, but still you don't remember him. And so Bernie, I was on the platform committee for Bernie. Bernie gets a tremendous amount of credit, and Bernie still may be the nominee. Uh, but Ruck is right. We're all going to have to choose, and why should an organization start choosing? It's a tough choice, but we do have to only, we only get one vote. Well, we're going to switch topics for the moment. We're going to talk more about this every week. In fact, uh, People's Action our national network. Can Rebecca, I... I'm going to give you one more chance. Yeah. I can tell by looking at you. There's one more. I had before given you an opportunity to pitch for people to get involved, which to, I assume you're now. going to do that now. Yeah, well, all right. Uh, you got too deep into your love of uh, Elizabeth. No, I'm just kidding. Very deep in it. Very deep in it. <laughs> Anyways, um, no, uh, uh, People's Action is likewise going to go through its own process, which will include, uh, certainly for us, our members of our organizing co-ops uh, being surveyed and asked about how they feel about this race. Uh, they'll be, we'll, we'll talk more about that down the road. Uh, Rebecca, a little more about for folks who right away want to get involved in helping Elizabeth for, at least for Working Families Party. Yeah, totally. And just quickly, before I even say that, you know, I, I appreciate um, much of what the both of you said. I think it's so critical that we on the left, as we struggle with these issues and struggle and wrestle with which candidate we personally want to support or organizationally end up supporting, that we are a team and that we are growing the progressive base. And, you know, quite frankly, um, there's been a lot of excitement and support for the Warren endorsement. Um, I, I think listeners may have seen, she just had a rally in Washington Square Park in New York. 20,000 people were there. My uh, national executive director, Maurice Mitchell, gave this like truly incredible speech that is on YouTube. I saw it this morning, uh, it was posted. But, um, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm. There are some individuals on the left who uh, have, have responded with the opposite of that, including threats, uh, including threats against our leadership. And I just wanna take a moment to just say some, super quick, really nice things about our leadership. But Maurice Mitchell comes out of the Movement for Black Lives, a lifelong organizer, is leading our organization in a direction that is like truly thrilling. And you mentioned, yeah. Matt, you know, the multiracial nature of yeah. the Working Families Party, and it's only something that we're going to continue to grow and build on. And then Nalini Stamp, who is uh, the person in our organization who I had the honor of supporting in her leadership, running this process, which was a great process. Nalini comes out of the Movement for Occupy. She is my contemporary, but I feel like she's lived a thousand lives. And 
And these are like two... The Wisconsin delegates who voted on behalf of our Wisconsin delegation are longtime activists here, Christine Newman-Ortiz and... And uh, Marcelia Nicholson. Nicholson, yeah. Right? And so, so really dynamic leaders, yeah. dynamic leaders of color, and like just such vision. So I just want to say positive things because they're getting a lot of barbs from just like trolls mostly on the internet. Um, but, you know, there are so many people who are excited. And if you're listening and you're a Warren supporter and you're waiting for the citizen action process to go through to see who Citizen Action endorses, or you're waiting for the Warren campaign to put staff on the ground in Wisconsin, it's going to be quite some time. We're not an early primary state. You should come and work with the Working Families Party, and you can do that in a couple ways. The principal way is you should take out your phone right now, and you could text us at the Working Families Party, and you should text 738-674, and the message should be WFP4, the number 4, Warren, so that's texting WFP for Warren to 738-674. And we'll be able to get you um, in the pipeline to do some, some volunteer outreach for Warren. Or you could go to WFP2020.org, which is our website, where you can get more info. Robert, you had something you wanted to close with? Yeah. I, I'm having flashbacks to the convention in 2016 when and, and the platform committee process where Bernie himself wanted to have a, uh, an approach that got us as far as possible, got the victories that were could be gotten out of the primary and get the mainline Democrats to run on the progressive platform we negotiated and had so much trouble controlling and influencing his own people. And I, I think a lot of people saw the excess of passion on Facebook, the charges, and I get it. I get the left feels like there's a conspiracy against them because there ha always has been, right? And so there's a lack of trust and there's a fear involved in it. But we, I, I, what I want to encourage people to do is, Bernie supporters, look at Bernie. You won't see Bernie doing that, okay? Bernie stays on the issues. Bernie does not do personal recriminations, and we need to live up to Bernie's leadership here. Yeah, look, I mean, come on. This is a. This needs to be a continue to be a contest of ideas and vision about the kind of values in America we want, not not smearing each other. So. Uh, We'll continue to talk more about presidential politics going forward, including uh, the briefly mentioned process that we'll go through within Citizen Action. I um, also want to let folks know that we're taking about 40 of our Citizen Action members to Iowa this weekend, Des Moines, Iowa, for presidential primary forums that uh, People's Action is putting on, along with our uh, affiliate organization in Iowa, um, where we're going to have a number of the presidential candidates there. That can be watched via um, webcast. We'll have a link to that. We really encourage you to, to watch that, because this will be a debate of ideas, and it'll be our platform, our ideas, not the stuff that you're going to see in the mainstream media. So we're going to talk about housing. We're going to talk about Medicare for all. We're going to talk about free college, right? Elizabeth Warren, you told that story, right? Like, how do we make college affordable again? These issues will be discussed. Please watch the forum. It starts at noon this Saturday, and, and we'll have and, more going forward. Uh, there's going to be three more forums that we'll have that will uh, that uh, we'll have in October. We'll have more later. For those of you listening on the radio Saturday morning, go ahead and go to the Citizenship Wisconsin website, the Battleground Wisconsin section. You can link up to the forum on Saturday afternoon. With that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Um, we are going, uh, we have a guest uh, for, for this segment. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, GM strike that's been going on with the UAW, and we're really fortunate to have a member, a, a steward 
of the Hudson facility, UAW facility uh, here in Wisconsin, Steve Frisk, who's a union steward at UAW Local 772. Steve, thanks for joining us. Yes, glad to be here. It's actually a local 722, but that's okay. 722, I apologize. I'm actually... No, no problem. I mix numbers up. It's a terrible thing I do. It's horrible. <laughs> so anyway, Steve, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, tell our listeners uh, who may have heard that you're out on strike, what, what's the key reason why you're out on strike? Well, there, there are actually a few of them. Um, obviously, the, the, the two, uh, the uh, closing of a lot, a lot of our facilities across the country in Lordstown, Detroit, Hamtramck, um, a few other ones in Baltimore and, and, and another couple in, in Michigan of closing these plants and basically moving a lot of these operations out of the country, uh, Mexico and uh, China, to, uh, to uh, give two examples of. Um, building uh, the new Chevy Blazer down in uh, Mexico when it could have been built at Lordstown or a few of these other plants that, that they were talking about closing. Um, th that was one of our huge issues and laying our people off. Um, this, you know, General Motors was on the brink of going out of business 10 years ago. And two things saved them, and that was their employees who voluntarily reopened the contract and uh, gave up a lot of stuff that we had negotiated in order to keep GM solvent with the idea that if GM did come back and start making a profit again, that we would get these things back. And that has obviously not happened. Not only has that not happened, they want to take more away. Um, the other big, uh, huge uh, problem was uh, temporary employees. Uh, General Motors keeps wanting to uh, hire more temporary employees at a reduced cost of uh, $15.78 an hour. Uh, they work them as many hours as they want. Uh, you know, basically they're required to be here whenever they're told. Uh, they are union employees, but our hands are sort of tied with the way the contract's set up about how much we can represent them, uh, which is frustrating at the local level for us. And uh, they have hardly no benefits, no paid, uh, no vacation time for the year. They have three unpaid days a year that they can miss work and they have to be pre-approved ahead of time. Um, they can be basically terminated for any reason in, in the first 90 days. And then after that, any minor shop rule violation, uh, they can be terminated for. So these people live on pins and needles every day. They're in here doing the same job as we are. They're working the same, you know, doing the same uh, type of work and doing the same hours and they're treated, you know, they're, they're just basically a, a minimum wage job. Up here in the Twin Cities area, you can go work at Aldi or Subway or some of these other places for anywhere 15 to $17 an hour. And they're paying these people 15 78 with hardly any benefits. So that was our other problem is we want to give them a path to full-time employment. Now, health insurance became an issue in the last few days when it made known that GM wanted to start cutting about back on paying our health care and wanted us to be paying more for it. And between that and the minimum raises of 2% that they acted like they were giving us the uh, this huge uh, raise of 2% a year for the next four years wouldn't even cover the additional health care costs. We would be losing close to $250 a month in what we would be paying. So actually, we'd be taking a pay cut. Uh, this Robert. Uh, that was great the way you laid that out. Let me ask you a couple follow-up questions. Uh, obviously, what you laid out, which is great, is, is that, look, the American people bailed out GM, uh, for the purpose of maintaining jobs here, and GM does not, but did not put it in the in, in the bailout, did not tie it down. 
And so GM feels no obligation back to the country or its workers. And in fact, seems to be committed to a low road labor strategy because they're also part of negotiating these rigged trade deals where they're going up uh, off, either offshore it um, overseas to workers who were abused over right to form a union or even trade, uh, treat even worse than the temp employees that you laid out. Um, or they're going to create more of a gig economy, which is the direction these temp employees go. So there's that where literally the only leverage against them seems to be the strike. I think the strike is going to return. So I really praise UAW for that. And second on healthcare, whereas GM was part of the whole decision not to do a national healthcare program after World War II. Now they feel no obligation there either, nor do they actually advocate for national health care reform that would make it affordable. Don't you think that that's the way to deal with health care, not to simply cut, cut, cut the workers and shift all the, the outrageous costs to the workers that are too high, but it's not the workers' fault? Uh, no, I agree with you 100 percent. Instead of trying to find uh, a solution, uh, they're just basically, you know, like you said, cut, 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 and they keep taking away from the employee. And uh, it's not the answer. And I mean, it's a slap in the face to us, and it should be a slap in the face to the American taxpayer for what they're doing and how General Motors is handling their business at this point. You know, they... If it wasn't for, for for the American taxpayer, this company would be bankrupt. And and as an employee, and I know my employees, we we are very grateful to the American public and the taxpayer for for take, you know being there in our time of need. We wouldn't have made it. I mean, we, we give credit to the George Bush administration, though, though, though it's very painful for me to do that. Uh, but at least they started this rolling. And then, of course, the Obama administration carried it through. But if it wasn't for this, this company would be gone. And they have seemed to have forgotten that. And uh, now that they're they're healthy again, they're making record profits, record profits for the last four or five years, and they don't want to even share any of it. And not, not only share any of it, they want to they want to cut more of it away. And uh, most of us that are that are called legacy employees that are, are are full wage, this isn't about wages for us. We're not looking for any more money. Do do we deserve a pay raise? Yeah, we probably do. We haven't had one. You know, we're we're actually making less today than we did in 2000 if you factored in the cost of living. Yeah, but, but that's not our beef. Our beef is to take, you know, keep the jobs here in America, keep our people working. You know, this is why we got bailed out. And 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 to, to move stuff overseas is just a slap in the face. And take care of these temporary workers. We want to see them have a path to full-time employment. We want them to have this job so they can take care of their families and provide for their families. That is why we went out on strike. Now, the health care situation has been something that just exploded basically since we went out on strike on Sunday. It's gotten to be more contentious, obviously, with them canceling our insurance which is supposed to be, you know, carried through to the end of the month since it's paid up, up up front. But, you know, they're playing hardball. They're playing hardball, and they want to use intimidation tactics to scare our people. And uh, I think it's having the opposite effect. It's 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 really uh, united our people more. We're, we're, we're ticked off. And I think it's given a lot of people more resolve that we're doing the right thing and we're going to continue to fight, and we're not giving in. Steve, uh, this is Rebecca with the Working Families Party. Thank you so much for that. That was really a clear explanation of what's going on. Um, I know we only have maybe like 30 seconds left in the segment, but I just wanted okay. to quickly ask you, what can listeners do to support the UAW members who are out on strike and um, really pressure GM to do the right thing? Well, I mean, anytime we welcome anybody to just show up here and, and join our, our, our picket line, even if it's for 10, 15 minutes, um, you know, on social media, try to, you know, 
say, give our point of view. You see so much negative publicity about the unions, but understand why we're doing this and, and understand it's not just us, that we have reached a crossroads in this country where we need to start st- standing up to the 1%. I mean, it, the, the wealth distribution has, has gone completely amok. And if we don't put our line in the sand and stop this now, it's going to keep getting worse and worse. And pretty soon there's going to be two classes of people in this country, the extremely wealthy and the poor. The middle class is dying off. And unless we stick up together and we've had brothers from the Teamsters and the IBEW and I'm going to speak to the teachers union over in Minnesota on Saturday and they've pledged to come over here and help us. This is the positive that's coming out of this strike is people are raising up and saying enough, enough is enough. And then we have to get back to where this country was, where the middle class could, you know, you could, you could have a good job and put your kids in college and, 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 and pay your bills. And we've gotten away from that and we need to get back there. And we appreciate any support anybody can give us, uh, even if it's just a honk and wave thumbs up. It goes a long ways to keeping the morale up here with our people. Well, Steve, we really appreciate you taking the time. Robert, I guess, Robert, you have another question? Just one statement, Steve. I think you made a critical point, and that is these workers, you're risking your families, right, your future. You don't do this for nothing, in other words. Exactly. And, yep. and people need to think about that and understand that these folks would rather just be with their families and say, watch the Michigan-Wisconsin game this weekend. But instead, they're putting their whole livelihoods on the line. So let's think about that because the GM ain't doing that at all. The CEO is doing great. She makes, what, $20 million a year. Yep. But the workers are putting it on the line. Let's respect that and let's support it. We want to go back to work and do our jobs to the best of our ability. But there comes a point where you have to say enough's enough. And, and, and that's where we're at. And... Uh, Hopefully we can, GM will get it together here and we can figure something out mutually agreed upon and we can move forward. And and that's our hope. Well, thank you very much, Steve, for taking the time to educate our listeners about what's going on. But most importantly, for for putting yourself on the line and for for helping organize your brothers and sisters to to go out on strike. So we expect uh, we expect you shall win. Thank you much, Steve. Thank you. And uh, go Big Red this weekend and go Packers. All right. Solidarity. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you very much. With that, we got to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Robert, we got to talk a little bit about health care. Today, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, is unveiling her plan to negotiate uh, prescription drug prices. Um, Tell us more. What's in the plan? It's my understanding that she believes this is something that uh, Trump might just be interested in. Well, <laughs> until he isn't, I would say, <laughs> just, which is just think about gun safety or anything else that I. Uh, that he's never interested in the end and the things that really matter for average people. Uh, but let's even take a little step back on this, a half step, and that is the reason there's such a demand for Medicare for all or a public option that is absolutely actually restructures the whole system like a robust one um, is that the whole healthcare system has been rigged to maximize profit and includes the hospitals includes medical device manufacturers includes the insurance companies up and down the line right and but prescription drug companies i guess they're competing with health insurance are like the poster children for this for 
just gross, I'll kill people to make more profit, right? And I'll charge you, I'll price gouge, and I'll charge you triple for a drug you need for, to manage your chronic disease or, or for treatment of a deadly disease like cancer, uh, just so I can make more profit. And Wall Street says, because they're complicit in all of this and implicit, if you're making 50% profit on that pill, why not 60? Why not 70? And there's no end in sight, right? And that's the only thing that drives the stock prices. And so this is something where you would think all politicians agree because the public is mad about this across the spectrum, and yet magically nothing happens, which is, of course, why we know the system is rigged. Now, this has been a bit like Waiting for Godot, the famous play, in that it's been rumored that uh, Speaker Pelosi would do this for a long time. And in fact, even last summer when she was in Milwaukee, uh, when Gwen Moore brought her here and I got to talk to her, she assured me this is the one big thing they do, but I was beginning to lose faith. But here it is. And she is calling Trump's bluff because she is has elements here that Trump says he supports. Now, you watch because... Trump will declare something that he supports things, and then they whisper in his ear and say, oh, no, no, you can't do that. You know how much money farmers going to give us in the election, Donald? You know, don't you want to win? Wouldn't it be humiliating if you lost, Donald? Whatever they say to him to motivate him not to do anything that challenges any major corporate interest. Uh, but here's what's great about this. First of all, it's unusual for a speaker to introduce a bill, so that itself tries to elevate it. Uh, but second... It not only does negotiation, remember, Medicare can't negotiate because it's in the law when they did Medicare um, Part D under George W. Bush that you can't negotiate. Every other country does, which is why they spend two to six times less than we do for the same drugs often produced and invented here in the United States. This goes beyond Medicare, though. It does the negotiation for all prescription drugs, which is a huge thing, and it's not true of all the bills in Congress, even the good bills. And it also creates an index on the average price across countries and holds drug companies accountable to that. And that's what we're going to have to do on every kind of reform. Anyone who tells you the private market will control health and health prices, care prices in general in this country when they hyperinflate is wrong. The only thing that works is the government in some direct way setting a reasonable price. And that's actually what Medicare does for medical services. It's why it's um, at least 25 to 30 percent cheaper than private insurance. And in addition, it goes after them for uh, large inflationary increases and fines them if they go over a certain index and returns the money to medical research. And so this is a it's not everything we need. But this is the kind of thing we need across the whole healthcare system, and it sets up a wonderful deal, especially the pegging it to the international average. Remember, Donald Trump's core is, is that we Americans are being abused by corporations. Not that he's willing to do anything about it, but that's his populist pitch. Well, he's got trouble being against this, but we'll see. He'll probably just say that it's, it's, it's Nancy and Pelosi and therefore it's junk and just attack everything as fake news. Who knows? But this, he, she is trying to put him on the spot and setting up a great electoral issue. Well, we'll continue to watch this and see if it plays out that way. Uh, clearly, this is a fight to get Donald on, on, on their side. So, all right. There is uh, one thing that I wanted to mention this week that's related to healthcare, related to pharma. Um, we have not talked in depth about what's been going on with the vaping, um, but there was a great article, again, in the Wisconsin Examiner uh, that talked about vaping illness, uh, showing the need to regulate the THC market. Yeah, it's uh, brilliant. It's absolutely right. It's why we need to legalize 
you know, all marijuana and get the stuff regulated. Um, and this gets back to the power of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, Eric Marsh, who's a leader here in uh, Citizen Action, but also the um, executive director of Southeast Normal, uh, had a great point. He brought up, look, the reason this is getting in politicians and everyone is jumping all over this is the vaping industry doesn't have the power of, say, the pharmaceutical, the opioid industry, and you know, although it is killing people every day at a rate way higher than vaping, or, say, the NRA or the gun industry, uh, given what's been going on in there. Uh, so it's food for thought, and uh, he accurately points out this is largely happening on the illegal market, and it only, only makes it all the more. Let's just legalize this. Let's regulate it. Let's make sure it's safe. Um, so uh, shout out to Eric for his leadership, and again to the Wisconsin Examiner for continuing to bring up uh, good stories. Um, but I want to talk about the climate strike. It is going on today, yeah. <laughs> since most of you listen on Friday. Friday, huge climate strike, Rebecca. No, I, I'm just so excited. And, you know, I think we, we talked about this so much on the show, particularly because there are uh, friends of the show who are involved in actions such as these. But the way in which the youth of this country are just leading the charge yep. on calling attention to this existential crisis and doing it in like pretty dramatic and uh, effective ways is really inspiring. So um, that's my that that's what I care about with this. And, yeah. you know, Greta. Uh, Sundstrom, the uh, 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 Swedish teen that sparked a lot of this activism, yeah. kind of like lit the spark, though it, obviously there was a spark to be lit with youth across the world. Uh, but she actually testified in Congress, and you had right-wing Republicans trying to like catch her, saying, well, if you were on a boat and you decided you were going to pick up all the garbage along the way and the other boats around you all were throwing in more garbage... In other words, the argument being that these other countries like China are, yeah. do, are, are doing greenhouse, then what, how would you feel? And she's like, I would tell the other boats to stop too. I mean, it's just <laughs> like, what, what, she would, as a Swedish teacher, like, what are these crazy right-wing <laughs> talking points where the Republican Party in the United States is the only major political party in the entire developed world that doesn't believe that there is human-made climate change as a threat to civilization. It's the only one. It's embarrassing. Well, but then when they sort of admit that it's a problem, they go, oh, yeah, but they're doing it more. That's the part. <laughs> that's the start of the pivot, I think. It's... I think Chris Hayes uh, on MSNBC is totally right. That's the, the sign they're about to pivot to other reasons other than, de than straight-out denial. Uh, so this is one of, their, one of their new reasons. The other one, of course, is the S-word. Right, socialism. Oh, I was like, what is the S word? <laughs> well, uh, so for people who don't know or hadn't heard a lot, there's there's actions going on in just about every community around the country, but uh, for sure there's definitely well-organized stuff in Madison, Milwaukee, Appleton, uh, most of the major cities. We'll have some links uh, to some of those on the podcast, as many as we can, but uh, certainly if you Google uh, the climate strike, you'll get stuff, activities in your community. Uh, really important to get out, support this stuff. And again, Rebecca, you brought it up. The youth, like on this, continue to lead in incredibly inspiring way. Um, and and I would say it's it's great to see that adults are just sort of following <laughs> to some extent on this one. Uh, but really critical issue. In a, and we've talked about this before with an election year coming around. This issue is really maturing as an election issue. And strikes like this are really important to that uh, continuing. And they're also uh, putting pressure on uh, Democratic politicians who think that they do okay just by mouthing things about it or having task forces with, that don't lead anywhere. 
And so the demand, at least of the Milwaukee climate strikers that are going to be marching, and it may be in other parts it's of Madison, the state. Madison, most of the state. Yeah. yeah, is. But the demand, I heard I heard this from Milwaukee, so I don't know yep. if this is statewide, but it could be, is, is that Tony Evers needs to declare a climate emergency and act, act accordingly as governor around the climate. I mean, he's doing really well with creating a new task force, putting Mandela Barnes in charge of a task force, but they're looking for a little more red meat from the governor than, than is his usual style. So it'll be interesting to see what the response is, because I think Governor Evers does know uh, the importance of this issue, but his style is not as confrontational as that. Yeah, we talked about this when the budget first came out and compared it to the Green New Deal and sort of the vision of what's going on. And, you know, really what this is, is it's a call to Evers and other other folks to really think visionary and talk visionary and have big stuff. It may not happen in the next legislature, but like, let's not start with that conversation. Talk about a stiltifying conversation. Well, you know, to immediately start talking about the legislature, let's like chop off half the attention span. Making Robin Voss governor. Yeah, right. That. Like, I mean, no, let's talk about what our vision is and then we'll get about seeing what the legislature is capable of. But that, you know, we need to lay out the vision. And so uh, kudos to these to, to everyone for for trying to get you know Evers to adopt something bold and visionary like this. So uh, again, folks, get out uh, for most of you listen here on Friday. Uh, give it a listen. Uh, also, want to take the time to thank everybody who attended our brew fest, which is uh, occurring this Thursday night. Uh, we're recording obviously Thursday before, but uh, we expect this to be very well attended. We want to thank everyone who either donated or uh, uh, donated uh, to silent auction, donated money, and or attended. But with that, going to wrap up this battleground wisconsin we want to thank our producer brian wildridge who makes it happen every week also want to thank steve frisk from the uaw and uh we'll see you next week here at the battleground wisconsin